Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Hello, everybody. I am so appreciative having Beth Edfield as my guest today. Beth is the principal of workplace science at Joshua. Her bio states, meet a human who cares about other humans at work. Beth's curious about the experience people have at work and the role that leaders play in purposefully crafting engaging environments for people to flourish. At Joshel, she leads insights and understanding of workplaces, their cultures, and the people at the heart of them. Beth's a regular writer for the Joshel blog and host of the People at Work podcast and the Conversation at Work dialogue series. When she's not in the workplace laboratory, she enjoys a good run, a well-brewed coffee, and a gnarly crossword. Welcome to the show, Bev. Oh, thanks so much. It's awesome to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much. So do I. And now for our listeners from all over the world, could you share with them where you're located today and any type of food or local site that they should be looking at? Well, I live off the coast of Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. Uh, I live on a small island called Bowen Island, and it's got about 5,000 people. So it's it's about a 20-minute ferry ride from Vancouver. Um, and what I love about my little part of the world is the unspoiled nature. And the site that I'd like to share or ask our listeners to imagine is um, a forest trail that takes you up to a beautiful viewpoint of the ocean and and um, it's just unspoiled. There's you, you, you will likely not run into another human, which I find just to be wonderful in this time when we need to reflect and find some time for ourselves. So that's what I value about my little part of the world. Thank you so much for sharing, Beth. Now, you are the principal um, of workplace science at Joshua. Could you share with our listeners what you do? Sure. Well, um, in very few words, uh, I'm a human who cares about other humans at work. And so what that means for me in my role at Jossel is, is twofold. So Jossel is a tech company here in Vancouver. And the product that we're building is an employee enablement platform that helps us to uh, give our customers the ability to connect their people to everything that matters to them during their workday and to help enable their people to do amazing work during that workday. So my role at Jossel is um, I, I have two parts. Um, the first is that I am responsible for nurturing and crafting Jossel's own employee experience and the culture um, of learning and development that we are building for our people at Jossel. And then at the same time, I am interested in what's actually happening in the world of work. And I spend my days thinking about exploring, researching. Um, I have my own podcast with Jossel called People at Work. I have a, a virtual dialogue series, which helps me 
talk to other people about what's actually going on. So, you know, what's changing? What are the latest things that people are thinking about? What are the struggles that people are having? And then I bring that together in all sorts of, of shapes and forms like blog articles and research papers that I share back into the community because, you know, ultimately we're in this together and we've got to figure out how to create better work for people as we move into this new era of working together. I've listened to episodes from your People at Work podcast. And for listeners who have not had a chance yet, could you maybe just highlight a few of what your guests have talked about? And also like, you know, it is such a wide spectrum of um, guests you have interviewed over the past. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so People at Work has been um, live for over two years now. Um, we've got almost 200 episodes and, you know, that's a lot of conversations, right? Um, I, I co-hosted with um, my peer at Jostle, um, Dustin Tissick, and uh, together we talk to, like you said, all sorts of people. So our primary interest is in understanding what is going on for people at work. So we talk to coaches, consultants, authors, uh, people who are in businesses at the front lines leading things like the people function or C-suite functions or people who are really uh, in, engaged with and interested in how to build culture. So we cover a lot of topics. Uh, you know, most recently, there's been a lot of talk about hybrid work, remote work, the shifting face of work. How do we help people be included and connected in this new mode of operating? Um, but we've also talked about things like psychological safety and how to support parents at work. Um, we've also talked about leadership styles and trends. So really, it's it's quite a mixed bag. Um, but ultimately, our, our purpose is to try and shine a light on people in the workplace and people who are trying to make work better, which fits quite nicely with some of the things that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting that you share this because, you know, while I was doing my research about you, I saw that you have written long before the pandemic about employee engagement and company culture. And so like six years ago, I saw an article on LinkedIn that you wrote, your culture is how you treat people. And so could you maybe sort of highlight a few of your main insights over the years? And I know, you know, that's a lot to ask <laughs> in a few sentences, but sort of like, you know, given the pandemic and what is happening, that, that would be really great. Yeah, so over my career, I've been interested in how people work together. So my undergrad degree is in communications and psychology, and I, I've really always had an interest in organizational behavior and, you know, what environments cultivate happy people and outstanding outputs. So how do people actually come together and do great things together? So, so I've thought about and explored and written extensively about people-centric work cultures. Um, in particular, because I, I think that is where the, the, the answer lies for us. Um, and that occurs at three different levels, as I understand it. So it's the individual level, the manager slash leader slash supervisor level, and then there's the organizational context. So um, as I think about the, you know, the world of work and how people show up every day and the things they experience, um, what I've come to understand is that it really comes down to caring about others. And in its simplest form. And that is one of the simplest things that we do as humans for one another, right? So 
why should it be any different in the workplace context? So a lot of what I write about in research is centering on trying to understand how do we create more of that for people and for leaders and for organizational thinking as, as a whole. Um, and it's not just about saying, oh, I care about you um, as a manager to a, a direct report or a peer to peer or in your workplace culture saying that we care about each other in your values. Um, you actually have to put it into action through things like compassion, having a real interest in other people. And then I think a key thing that's emerging is having a growth mindset um, around not having all the answers, striving to learn and develop and cultivating that growth mindset as an organization and as an ecosystem where people can actually come and, um, and it's, it's tied to psychological safety as well. It's, you know, creating those environments where people can come and feel free to make mistakes, take risks, be themselves. Um, you know, that all comes down I think, to caring about people. Um, so to answer your question about what the pandemic has done for this, um, you know, I think for office workers, overnight, we shifted to working in remote mode. And that forced many of us, in fact, most of us, to basically turn our worlds upside down. Um, in terms of the way that we would engage with work and our coworkers and our bosses and our workplace cultures. Suddenly, you know, we were disconnected from them. Um, and I think that's exposed weaknesses in leadership styles and in organizational culture and resources that we make available to our people. Now, we shouldn't forget that there were non-office workers who went through this shift as well. And I know a lot of what I talk about is office-centric, but I think it is important for us to realize that the workforce, you know, doesn't only consist of, of people who go into offices every day. Um, you know, they are non-office workers who have had a much harder emotional and physical time, I believe, over the last 18 to 20 months. And plus, they've also felt some of these constraints around isolation, disconnection, burnout that a lot of office workers have felt. So, you know, I, I think that if we're thinking about people-centric workplaces, um, we need to be thinking about all kinds of workers, first of all. Um, and then what's central to that is, um, how are we actually attending to people's feelings of inclusion and belonging? And those two things have actually decreased significantly since the pandemic arrived as well. Um, I recently wrapped up a research project with Dr. Erin Barth of Dialectic, and we were studying the impact of remote work on inclusion um, for people who'd newly shifted to being remote workers from being in office, office workers. Um, and you know what we found is that people's sense of, of belonging um, and inclusion were impacted significantly. Um, what was interesting is that people's productivity went up, but their feeling of being part of something that they cared about or that mattered went down. Mm -hmm. So what that was telling us is that in the the past 18 months due to the pandemic, we shifted as organizations and as managers into this transactional mode of thinking. We, we, we were in crisis mode, right? And when you're in crisis mode, you have an operational list of things you have to get done. And it's very easy to, to forget about the people aspect of what's happening in that scenario. Um, so one of our recommendations coming out of our research was that we really need to shift away from transacting and start relating to people. And to bring this back to what I started saying is relating to people starts with expressing that you care about them. 
So um, hopefully that gives you a bit of a sense of the things that I'm thinking about and, um, you know, the opportunities that we have as leaders and organizations to address some of the things that were quite honestly going on in organizations before the pandemic arrived. Yeah, no, it, it sounds really interesting. And, you know, also listening to your podcast, it's like all about, it feels more and more shifting from a manager that focuses 100% or predominantly on the numbers to becoming more of a coach. And for some managers, that is a completely, I would say, maybe mindset shift. And, and how are people being, you know, helped to do this? Because I, I imagine this is not an easy shift when you're so used to meeting somebody and let's looking at the number to all of a sudden, well, how are you feeling? What can we do to support you with the current situation? So um, from your research and experience, what are sort of um, maybe best practices that organizations have done to create this more of a, a coach maybe feeling? Yeah, gosh, I, I think that the pressure is on for managers and, and people who are in uh, people reporting capacities right now and, and has been the case for, you know, since the pandemic began. I do think that it is going to be a challenge for some managers to move out of that transactional way of thinking because it is very task oriented. It is, it allows you to just get on with things without getting involved in the messy stuff. One of the things that I've tried to do more of in the past year, and, and admittedly, I, I feel like I'm I'm probably on the relational end of things already. So that's my nature to sort of go towards the emotional effective side of things. But I, I even I have been trying to get more in front of, of people and really understand what's happening for every individual because that's the other thing here is you can't paint everyone with the same brush and say everyone is feeling isolated everyone is feeling disconnected everyone has got children at home that they're trying to deal with right that's not the case people are feeling this anxiety excitement uh, opportunity lack of opportunity to different degrees right so you've got to approach people as individuals and it can start with as simple as just a quick conversation, like, how are you doing really, you know, um, tell me about one interesting thing that happened to you today. Um, what's the one thing that's really irritating you right now? You know, you don't have to start in on this, you know, hour long lie on my couch and I'll, you know, be your psychologist for for the next 60 minutes, right? It's, it's just about showing that you actually care and that you're paying attention to somebody. Um, one of the things that we we tried to do at, at Jostle right from the very beginning was encourage our team leads, that's what we call our managers, they're, they're team leads in our environment, to really take note of the cues that people were signaling that might lead us to, to understand that they're not doing well or that they are actually thriving. And just that little shift in thinking around, just notice those small things. Is somebody not coming to the meetings that they used to arrive at? Or are they arriving at meetings, but they're not putting their camera on? Um, are they missing their deadlines? Um, can it go for days when you don't actually have even a hello from that person, right? So I think for managers, it's really about noticing the small things and being focused on individuals and not making assumptions about groups of people. Yeah. And so one other question, as I'm big on transferable skills, especially from, you know, caregiving, care work, 
volunteering. Are there, um, you know, managers who you've seen that are starting to use these skills, which they might not have originally sort of necessarily maybe thought about to how do I deal with a youth group or how do I deal with my own children if I want to encourage them to tell me something that maybe initially they are either reluctant to or might not even necessarily have the words for. And by creating, as you said, a psychologically safe environment. Yeah, look, I think it is, it's easier said than done for sure. And I, I think that it is dependent on the leader or the manager's willingness to have self-awareness about themselves, first of all and where they believe they need to grow and improve. Because if, if you don't have that insight or desire yourself um, to improve, then you can't necessarily coach somebody else around how to change or, or adapt or, or become more skilled or better at something. So I think that's, that's the first thing that we, you know, we like to see in our, our team leads is the self-starting mentality. Um, but in, in terms of of seeing actual change. Yes, I've definitely seen that in our own environment. Um, you know, I, th I think that you've got to give people the leeway to, to try things in their own time and in to the degree that they are comfortable in trying things. Um, we, we have a very entrepreneurial environment at Jossel. So I think we might be you know, we, we, we might have an advantage in that that is our, our basis of operating, that we, mm -hmm. we expect people to co-create with one another, we expect people to take responsibility and be accountable for the things they're doing from a project task perspective, and we expect the same thing from managers and team leads to do that as well. So, um, you know, but I will say that it's, it's definitely been difficult because of being not being in person with one another is also right. a challenge, right? But it's not an excuse. Like, I, I don't believe you need to be in person with one another in order to manage well or coach well or be engaged with your team. I, I think that's an easy out for managers. So, you know, I, I think in some, I would just say that, you know, we, we need to have clarity around what we expect of our leaders and we need to be providing managers and team leads with the support that they need in order to support their people. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, you're raising really, really good points. And and as you're talking about remote work, now, one of the things that the big debates are now happening of returning back to the work or in some form of a hybrid model. And you have been part of a task force to put together for Joshua um, the hybrid um, work policy. And it's, you know, you've done a lot of um, research about it. And I've read um, your main points about putting you know, this together and best practices. So could you share with our listeners what you have come up with and points that you have found as best practice? Yeah, for sure. So you know, at Jostle, we were a tech company. Before the pandemic, we had a flexible way of working in that we expected our workers or our jostlers to be in our office in Vancouver, um, you know, four days out of five. That that was what we 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 asked for. Uh, we have a few people who've always been remote, but for the most part, our people are in Vancouver and we were in our office. 
we use our own intranet extensively to stay connected. So um, we were lucky enough that when, uh, you know, early March 2020, when we, as the senior team, announced that we were going home um, overnight, basically, um, people basically just had their laptops and they arrived at their, you know, dining room tables, kitchen counters, bedrooms, whatever, on the, the next morning, and they carried on working, right? We were lucky in that respect. Um, but as time has unfolded, we have really changed our position around what we think we need to have in our organization in order to be successful with one another. And we had held on to this feeling that we needed to be in person to collaborate and do productive work. Um, we proved that wasn't the case over the past 18 months. We could be as innovative, creative, or more um, in this new way of working. So we've made the decision to be a hybrid workplace going forward, which means that we are remote capable, but we will maintain our physical office in Vancouver. And really, so what that means is uh, we're going to have a bit of a mix of in-person and remote working uh, for most of our people. Um, we did write up a hybrid work policy, and, and some of the, the, the key points of it are this notion of giving every jostler um, maximum flexibility while encouraging opportunities for in-person interaction when we think it actually makes sense. So we're not going to ask jostlers to come into the office and sit at their desk and work on a spreadsheet or type code or, you know, do whatever they could do within the comfort and, you know, the um, convenience of their own home. So the times when we will ask people to come together will be for, you know, once a quarter, we have something at Jostle called Jostlefest, which is basically a celebration of what we've achieved over the past um, three or four months um, or for social events like our company picnic or our Christmas party or, or whatever the case may be. So there has to be a really good reason for us to bring everybody together. Um, the other thing we've been really um, clear about is our limitations. So we are a Canadian company and we are not legally allowed to operate outside of Canada. We don't have jurisdiction in any any other country. So the requirements are that if you work for Jostle, you need to be living and working in Canada. So, you know, that was something we were very clear about. And, you know, that's that's going to be a topic of interest in the coming years, right? Because um, a lot of companies have suddenly flung their doors open and said, we can hire from anywhere. Right. But, but really, can you actually do that as a company, right? So you've got to be honest about what you can physically do and legally do within the confines of your, your business operations. Um, the other thing we decided within the confines of the policy was we were not going to mandate what different teams chose to do in terms of working together. So even though I said previously, um, we're going to have these milestone events through the year where we ask everybody to come together, we're not going to mandate every team needs to work in the office once a week for two days a week. Um, every team is allowed to decide what works for them. Um, if they decide that they're going to come into the office twice a week, great. If they decide once every two months is, is great for them, well, go for it. Um, we as uh, senior leaders are not going to be asking anyone to live up to um, the norms or rituals of another team or according to you know the whim of the executive. So um, I feel like that is a really important part of our policy because it really doubles down on this flexibility and this sort of entrepreneurial way that we operate at, at Jostle. Um, a key part of our policy is that we 
acknowledge that we don't have all the answers. We are trying this as something new for our company and it's likely to change. Um, we've been really upfront from the beginning with our, our employees that we do not have all the answers. This is unscripted. We are every single leader and every single employee is in new territory here. Um, so we've written our policy in the spirit of that, um, you know, being open and transparent and being clear that we will share information and we'll be willing to change the policy if something transpires that um, proves that what we've got in place doesn't actually support us or help us achieve our objectives as a company. So, you know, I think that those are some really critical things that other organizations should be thinking about. And I know that there's a lot of companies that have been very public about what they're doing with their, their hybrid work um, structure and how they're approaching hybrid work. But I think it's really important for every organization to, you know, listen to what's going on out there, take a look, but really you've got to build something that suits you and your people. And, and that's the key part there. It's got to suit your people. Um, because if, if they can't work the way they want to, they won't work with you anymore. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, these, these are so many good points you're raising. And now, as I'm such a big proponent of flexible work, in particular, like, you know, job sharing and part-time work in order to enable also professionals to return back to paid work who, because of caregiving um, you know, responsibilities or other reasons cannot work full time. I'm hoping that this more of a, I would call it trust work, then perpetuates and maybe enable more organization to look at job sharing, which a lot of the time is, you know, it requires trust between the two parties working together, as well as the respective manager and um, colleagues to, you know, feel confident that this all can work. So I'm curious if you have either heard or seen more of that, that, you know, maybe more part-time or job sharing is in the horizon or is being mentioned as a possibility of a type of flexible work. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the next uh, part of our evolution in organizations. And I think it's already happening. The, the pandemic has obviously accelerated that shift in the mindset. And I think that's a great thing. I, th yeah. I think it's a good thing for employees, but I, I think it's a really good thing for organizations to be shaken up and to think about different ways of bringing people together to do great work, right? Um, there, there are benefits for, for both parties. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think trust is, is crucial for, for it to succeed. And the trust has to happen from both, both sides, right? Um, you know, I, I don't think we are, we are there yet, but I, I think that there is definitely um, an appetite for change that isn't going to go um, away. And, and, and honestly, I, I think that it is an employee's market and will continue to be so. And uh, we've all heard, you know, the turnover tsunami, the, you know, right. the, you know, the, the, there's, there are a number of other phrases for it. Um, you know, the, the great resignation is exactly. another one. Um, and, and that is real. Right. And, and I, I think that it, this is like for the first time in almost a century, we have an opportunity to actually reframe work we have an opportunity to actually understand what 
helps people thrive and then build structures in our society of which workplaces and organizations are one structure to actually support not suppress the human potential right so uh, I just don't understand why we would even want to go back to normal like it doesn't even you know for me the, the first thing that I started to think about when the pandemic arrived was um, yes, this is a terrible thing, but wow, what an amazing opportunity we've got, right? What does this mean for humanity for us to be able to reframe things? Like this doesn't happen often. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it, it's not since the industrial age have we actually had a chance to have a significant impact on how we we bring people together to do productive work. So, you know, I think flexible work and ways of job sharing and uh, finding opportunities for people to piece together interesting ways to add to their lives is is critical. And, and I think those leaders who can and, and organizations who can build their environments to support this, they're the ones who are going to win through this for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It's sort of such a revolutionary time, I would even say, to really define what is work. And not just paid work, but all the aspects of somebody's life. And um, you were talking about thriving. And um, I'm going to shift a little bit of the gears because what you have done in the past, I just found really amazing. And for people who don't know um, you yet, um, you've gone on a extended travel journey across many countries and I was just fascinated reading about it so if you could please share a bit about that part of your history yeah for sure it's 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 a very um a time of my life that I look back with fondness and uh, I miss my, my days of traveling. Um, but basically, uh, my husband and I decided to take a, a two-year sabbatical um, six or seven years ago. Um, we had experienced a, a, a very close loss in our lives. We lost a baby son and we were, were grieving through this process. And we both knew that work didn't matter to us anymore in the way that it once did. And um, we needed to do something completely different to actually set us off on a new course in our lives. And so what we decided to do was take this time and go traveling. So we sold everything. We got backpacks, basically packed those backpacks and hit the road in Central America and proceeded to travel through 30 countries over the course of two years. And we're also avid runners um, and we eat a plant-based diet. So we wanted to explore how could we run in some of the most amazing remote places in the world and how do we explore cultures through cuisine and, and this very different way of approaching eating because, you know, being plant-based isn't that obvious in some countries in the world. So anyway, that's what spurred our journey. Um, through that that process, we you know we had some ups and downs. It's you, you know you you learn a lot about yourself. Um, fortunately, I had a really wonderful um, you know partner in my husband, who is my best friend and um, a great life companion. So um, you know we were perfectly suited for um, for the journey. And but we we encountered some difficulties. Um, you know when we were in um, Chile, um, our uh, backpack got. Uh, 
cut into, someone cut into the backpack and stole our travel wallet and our camera, um, including um, my husband's passport. So here we were stranded in this small village um, en route to the next destination. And suddenly we had to figure out how to get around um, without a passport. So, you know, those kinds of things when you're in an adventure like that cause you to um, think on your feet, causes you to reflect on, you know, how, how stable you feel in the moment, how you respond. Um, so we learned a lot. And I, I think some of the things that, you know, you, I know that you're very passionate about um, transferring skills from parts of your life into your work life. And so maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that I feel I learned that have uh, helped me as I returned and integrated back <laughs> into a more conventional existence. Um, you know, the first thing I think was was patience. Um, I, I'm not naturally a patient person, um, but when you're in the middle of, um, you know, South America and, you know, you, you don't have um, a consistent timetable for the next bus or train or, you know, means of transport, you might spend five hours waiting for something to come along. So, you know, what do you learn in that five hours? Well, you learn how to be patient um, and you learn how to deal with uncertainty and instability. And, and that requires flexibility, which I think is another skill that I learned. Um, you obviously learn problem solving, thinking on your feet. Um, you know, the stolen passport example is one of those um, real life learning examples. Um, I think another skill is how to relate to others. In particular, when you have a language barrier, how do you get your point across? How do you get help? How do you ask questions? Um, how do you be respectful and be part of a culture rather than imposing yourself on that culture, I think is a really interesting lesson for the workplace context in particular. Um, and then I think the, the last thing that I, I, I really I'm grateful for that I took away was just being in the moment and being very present in what you're doing and absorbing everything that's going on around you. And I feel like with the busyness of everyday life and getting caught up in deadlines and tasks and things that are being placed or demands that are being placed on you in the conventional way of living, we forget to appreciate and embrace those special and non-special moments in our lives. So I, I definitely try to hold on to that as much as I could when I returned from our journey. Thank you so much for sharing this so authentically. That's, you know, wow. What I was trying to sort of, you know, also understand, and you've mentioned it before, that it is really an employee market now. And one of the recent um, guests I've had are um, two um, Gen C um, students who have put together in the US Project Matriarchs, basically to use the power of their generation to increase um, the demand on organizations to put more um, emphasis on caregiving. And um, to have also, you know, senior leaders start talking about what they do as far as volunteering, care, working, caregiving outside of um, the normal work environment to emphasize the importance of doing this, which kind of leads back to where we started originally with a manager becoming more of a um, 
a coach. So now I'm curious, have you sort of, um, you know, encountered that also in the research you have done, that that is another shift that is happening right now? Yeah, I've seen two things that I think support your question. The, the first is, I think there's a growing um, need for uh, organizations to be focused on social impact, not only externally in terms of their, you know, corporate social responsibility and their their attitudes and their actions around um, how they support people outside of their organizations, but social impact enablement within their organizations for how do they actually support people and give people a voice within the organization. So I think that is something that is going to become more and more pressing for organizations, especially as we have a generation like Gen Z, where you know they're really looking for work with impact. They want their life and the things they do with their life to have meaning. So organizations need to not only respond to that it's you know you need to be proactive about that like don't wait for your employees to ask for that you've got to be thinking about how do you create that environment now um, so that's that's the one thing I think the other thing is around you know the, the, the caregiving side of thing I think is interesting I, I, I've not heard it articulated the way that you articulate it but how I understand that and think about it is it's really part of the employee experience that you're creating. And it comes back to my attitude around how do we care for people in organizations that we talked about right in the very beginning. And, you know, there, um, that comes down to not only the culture that you create, but to what extent are you actually supporting people in the things that are happening in their lives? And Bumble, which is the, the dating app, recently announced that they were going to be introducing extended supports in terms of leave for their employees. So, um, you know, leave for new parents, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what your circumstances, whether it's your own child or an adopted child, um, fostering a child, um, they were going to provide compassionate leave uh, due to miscarriage. And they were going to be giving caregivers um, time off to go and support their family members. So if you have an aging parent um, or a disabled child, you will be given time to go and you know, help those people within your lives. And, you know, I haven't seen another company, and I'm sure that there are examples out there, but that are being as vocal and are drawing the line the way that Bumble has, and I applaud them for it. You know, I, I think that is the way that we need to be going as as um, organizations, right? And I, I think a, an interesting question starts to be posed is, what is the role of an organization in society? like in terms of caring for people, given the amount of time that people spend within that environment. So I think that's going to lead us into some very interesting debates in the coming months and years. And I think we have the, the pandemic to thank for that, quite honestly, because it's, it's accelerated those conversations. I, I so agree. And thank you so much for sharing. And now, um, is we've talked about so many different aspects is there anything you would like to share with our listeners that we have not covered yet um i think just to the to the point of of caring you know i think if that feels too kind of warm and fuzzy to people and maybe there are some leaders who as we talked about earlier that's not their mode of, of operating like they don't want to be caring for people like that that might seem strange and foreign to them I think it might be easier to think about caring as a subcategory of inclusion and belonging 
right? So um, how do we instill a mindset of putting people first and welcoming their individual needs and what they actually want as part of their lives? Um, and that's a really small step with huge impacts, right? If that's all you can manage in your own shift as a leader, um, I think that'll all get us quite a bit further along this, this, this process of getting us to be people first and people oriented within organizations. Um, and, and one quick thing I wanted to add is that I'm not advocating that it's people over profits either. Like I know that there is that debate and that concern out in the world. Um, you can have both of those things and you should have both of those things. And maybe if you know, your organization is a nonprofit or is um, a charity or is not actually in business to make a profit, the profits that you're going to see are the things that you can return to your shareholders and your stakeholders. But to get those profits, you have to look after your people first. So, you know, I, I think that those leaders out there who are resistant to this people first idea um, also need to understand really what does it mean for you on your the bottom line of your business if you can change your mindset around putting people first, right? Yeah, well, that's that's you know really really important. Now, um, Beth, how can people find you on social media? So I'm most active on LinkedIn. That's where I, I live and, and breathe and engage with people. So I'd love uh, if anybody would like to reach out, you can find me. Um, I'm just under Bev Atfield. That's that's where I'm at on LinkedIn. And I'd love to carry on the conversation. So reach out to me there, send me a DM. Um, you can also send me an email, bev at jostle.me. If you'd prefer to email me, that's great. Um, and yeah, if there's anything I can shed further light on in something that I might have touched on today or if I can help anyone in any way please I'd love to hear from you thank you so much that was such a great conversation I really appreciate you being on the show thank you so much I've really enjoyed this open and uh, authentic platform and and uh, thank you for everything you're doing on your podcast to highlight some of these really crucial issues for us in the workplace right now thank you thank you so much for listening to the show we hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.